0: These are extraordinary times, but with too much information and much of it confusing. On Body Ecology Living, I interview some of the best minds to help you live your best life possible. We'll discuss topics on using foods to heal, on building a hearty immune system, on aging well, on taking care of your gut and, of course, your brain but most of all, on clarifying the right steps to be happier, healthier, and having the energy to make a difference in your own world. Welcome everyone to Body Ecology Living. I am really, really excited today about this talk that we're gonna be doing with Beth Lambert. So first, let me tell you just a tiny bit about her. She is a former healthcare consultant and teacher and she worked with the pharmaceutical companies before for medical devices and so on, but her life changed, and we're going to talk about that. She ended up writing a book called The Compromised Generation, The Epidemic of Chronic Illness in America's Children. And she co-authored another book, Epidemic Answers Brain Under Attack, a resource for parents and caregivers of children with PANS, PANDAS, and autoimmune encephalitis. So... We're not really going to be talking about that today. We're going to be talking about something really, really important and much bigger than what the book's about. And so, Beth, first of all, thank you for being on this interview with me. And I'm really excited for us to get this information out. I I want people to know that you're one of the most tenacious people I have ever known. And over more than a decade, you have not given up on a fight really for our children. So that's what we're going to talk about. And thank you for being here.
1: Yeah, I'm so happy to be here with you, Donna. I always love chatting with you.
0: Well, let's start just for the people that don't know your history and what got you on the path you're on now. You're a mom of three children now, and we actually connected because of autism. So we sort of start there and like, tell us your journey. Yeah.
1: Sure. Actually, I got into this journey because I became a parent, and in that experience of becoming a parent, I had, you know, lots of peers who were also having children around the same time. My children, my firstborn, actually had some symptoms that kind of eluded a diagnosis. You know, it was kind of skin things and some gut things and some behavioral things, but nothing that really fit into a diagnostic category. So, in trying to unravel that, I visited a lot of different conventional medical offices and pretty much got no answers. So in order to get answers, I actually ended up working with a dietitian and an integrative functional medicine practitioner. And through that practice, I actually found the body ecology diet. We did do the body ecology diet and we did a variety of other things, kind of detoxing our home and and really looking into alternative and holistic kinds of approaches to healing. And we pretty much turned that health situation around very quickly. But in that experience of going through... And, you know, meeting different kinds of integrative practitioners and learning about the different kinds of things you could do to try and help the body heal naturally. I met all kinds of parents who had kids who were impacted with all kinds of chronic health conditions, things like autism, ADHD, asthma, allergies, you know, so many different kinds of conditions out there. And in that experience, I learned that these parents were actually reversing these things in their kids. I mean, doing things, I, I had very little kind of small issues to deal with my own children, but I was meeting people who were reversing, you know, autoimmune diseases that I thought were lifelong and reversing autism, which I thought was genetic and it just something you were born with and would always have. So I had this big awakening to the fact that the way we're living in the modern world is making our kids very, very sick. And that there was this really small group of people who were actually turning that whole situation around by making different diet and lifestyle choices and using a different kind of approach to health. So that, to me, was really where I began my journey and also just seeing how many kids of my own peers were impacted. And that was really kind of maddening for me. I couldn't believe that to be a parent in this modern age meant to have a sick kids, And that just didn't add up. Right? Because when I was growing up, it wasn't the case, but this just seemed like a new normal. So that's really what got me started on my journey.
0: Yeah. Well, you said it. So, first of all, you know, I'm a whole generation older than you, and autism did not exist. And really, you know, in my high school class, one person had a gut problem and he had a bad one. You know, kind of everybody knew that he was struggling and in a lot of pain, but that was it. So, this is a new, very new, Thing that showed up in the world and isn't just just autism, but it's a whole spectrum of diseases. And so, back in the day, I have a degree in child development, and I've always had this real strong desire to do something for the children in the world. Like, I felt like that's where I need to put my focus because I could see that if we focused on our kids, you know, how we talk about functional medicine, get to the root cause. Well, the root cause is really going back to our children and fixing, bringing really healthy children in the world. So I majored in child development at Georgia, and then I, uh, they didn't have that much knowledge in this day, I was really fascinated by prenatal world. And so I'll say today that this problem starting in the womb even, and we need to go to, you know, one of the things I'm very passionate about is actually preventing all these problems. And I have a bunch of things I can say about that, but you know, it does start in the womb, and I think when you raise a child who are feed a child right, and you have this great environment when they're in the womb, and then do the right things after they're born, you raise a child who's really happy, who's not going to get in trouble, who's going to choose a brighter, happier path in life. They learn easily, and they just are a joy to raise. So, going back to what you you experienced at that time, people were totally clueless like i remember when i first stepped into the heard about autism and stepped into the helping the first mom with her son people didn't even know if diet was important maybe the gluten-free casein diet was good but you know that wasn't didn't seem to be enough and so on so i jumped in and then had a group called bedrock buddy called you diet recovering our kids and lots of kids started recovering including him the first child he recovered fully and Everybody's making progress because they were doing some really basic things that you've got to do. So I just want people to understand that in this relatively short period of time, about 17, 18 years, we have come a very long way in understanding and knowing that the kids can fully recover. So that's where I want to hand things back to you, Beth. Like tell us about, because there's this myth out there that kids can't recover. And even today, I'll say to people, well, you know, this, children are recovering all the time. And I think, really? Like, yes, don't you know that? Why don't you know that? So can we talk about that first? Yeah. So
1: I started, as I mentioned, you know, hearing about the fact that kids could reverse their chronic conditions, and I wanted to know more. So I really started asking questions and calling different experts. And that's when I ended up writing my book, A Compromised Generation, is because I wanted to understand, first of all, why do we have so many sick kids? But if there were these anecdotes of kids who've gotten all the way better What did they do and how did they do it and who did they work with? So that's I captured a few recovery stories in my book just to sort of document that it was happening. And for the last 10 years, I've been documenting stories, anecdotal stories of kids who have reversed all kinds of chronic health and developmental conditions. And so then it came to this place where, you know, you get a lot of people who say, well, they're just stories, you know, and and that's wonderful. That's a wonderful story for that family. But it's, you know, a miracle or. There was something unique Mm -hmm. about that child, or maybe they didn't have the diagnosis to begin with. Maybe they were Mm -hmm. misdiagnosed. hear
0: that one all the time.
1: Yeah, of course. And I knew that wasn't true. So then I knew that we needed to put a, a more scientific lens on that particular phenomenon, and we needed to document what was happening scientifically. So that's when we got into developing the idea behind what is now the Documenting Hope Project, which is essentially a research program to A, understand what the environmental factors are that are contributing to this epidemic of chronic illness in kids, and B, study, learn, and understand how the recovery happens. So the the most exciting part of what we've done in this research program is we have launched a longitudinal research study to actually take a small group of children who have a chronic health or developmental condition and bring them through a longitudinal study 18 months long to try and help them reverse their chronic health condition, and document that process the entire way. What did they do? How did they do it? Which tests did they take? What diet did they use? You know, what were the, the keys and strategies that are used commonly to help these kids recovery and recover? And we know that once we do that, we can take those lessons and project them out to the world so that more families can do this for themselves. First of all, believe that it's happened. You know, if we document it scientifically, we're going to document it also on film. So it's going to be, you know, indisputable that it happens. But then also we want to make sure that we give them the tools and the resources so that they can do this work on their own.
0: Well, you said a couple of important things before. I want to go into these studies and everything you're doing. But beforehand, before we do that, why do you think the word isn't out there? Why doesn't everybody know? Here's the, di- you know, here's what's wrong. Here's what you do about it. Where's mm-hmm. the cover up? I think it's because when
1: most people go into their pediatrician's office or they go into, you know, a psychiatrist or wherever they end up looking for help, that method, that approach, you know, that truth hasn't been taught, you know, so that it's not taught in medical school. You know, you don't get pharmaceutical companies pushing that for that narrative because they have something else to sell, which is a product to suppress the symptoms. So it's just not being taught. And then furthermore, it's not there's no funding for research because at the end of the day if you reverse a child's chronic health condition there's no product to sell right there's no money to be made so there isn't a big incentive on the part of, of companies to you know make this more available to people so I think that's you know that's the main thing and so when it does happen it's usually the parents and I know you know this on it because this has been your experience like with bedrock the parents are doing it on the on their own or they're working in collaboration with a small set of integrative, functional medicine practitioners who do know how to do this because they went and got educated on their own.
0: And in the very beginning, one of the things I noticed about them, they all had children with autism. So they were very motivated, you know, what's wrong? How do I, I'm not not putting my child in a bunch of drugs. So the first group of doctors formed uh, defeat autism. Now they've since Changed their name and their, they evolved into a different organization, but they were amazing doctors, super smart, really caring. And the great thing about them was they were cared about what the parent. They realized the parents had answers they were looking for, so it was a group effort: the practitioners and the parents. And one thing I'll say about the mothers is they're amazing to work with. They're hell on getting their children well at all costs, and they're real perceptive. So. They make a little change. They can see what's going on right away to keep, you know, moving along. And then they work together. Like I remember, you know, when a kids started getting well in the bedrock group, we had only six people at first, six moms. And then, but they're on the internet. They're sharing information. Eventually, it went all over the world. Hong Kong, we had over 2,000 practitioners and mostly parents, you know, learning. So the great thing was, I realized, is how quickly the right information can get out there to the people that are looking. Now, but it is a real struggle because it's extremely expensive. Most of them practically mortgage their houses to pay for these treatments that their child needed, and it wasn't exactly sure, well, they weren't exactly sure if this is the right one. And because every child's different, we know today that there isn't just one for everybody. So could you talk about that too? Like what have you... Some of the things over the last ten years or so, what are some of the things that you've learned and know for certain about the children? Like, are they all alike, for example, and what are their needs basically? Yeah,
1: so it's such an interesting thing to look back at the last ten years. It's really been going on for longer than that, twenty. But since no. these doctors have been pioneering, doctors and parents have been pioneering this approach, in the beginning, you're absolutely right. There would be parents who would kind of like just try everything, throw it on the wall and see what sticks, mm-hmm. right? Or they would hear from each other like, oh, this worked for my child. See if this works for yours. It wasn't really done in a methodical, systematic, or kind of bio-individual way. But where we are now is that things are done much more in a bio-individual way because each child is unique. And how they got to that place where they're – expressing all these symptoms is unique to them. So you have to unwind it in a way that's unique to them as well. But the thing that we have today that we didn't before is one, we have much better precision diagnostic tools. You know, so you can look at things, you can take tests that look at your gut bacteria and see what kind of imbalancer is. You can look and see what their cellular toxicity looks like as an individual and how to unwind that. You can look and see at what kinds of nutrients they're missing or what nutrients they might have in excess. Because again, we have these precision diagnostics. And many of these diagnostics are expensive now, but it's like anything else. It's like as soon as you have a certain you know, uptake in the market, you get efficiencies and the costs go down. And I do see that coming very soon, I think. The other thing I think we know now, which we didn't know then, is that it doesn't all have to be expensive, this healing. Because what we've learned is that What causes kids to develop chronic health conditions and symptoms, whether it's autism or whether it's an autoimmune disease or life-threatening food allergy, has to do with that individual child's total body burden. So, you know, it could be too many chemicals, too many emotional stressors, too much EMF, too much sugar, whatever it is, all of those things kind of are like drops in the bucket that add up. And, you know, if you have too many drops in your bucket, at some point you basically bubble over and that's when you get your symptoms. So the exciting thing about that kind of concept, which we call the total load theory, you know, when a child's total load is too great, that's when they start getting symptoms. Great thing about that concept is that it doesn't have to be expensive things that you do to sort of bring that child's total load down. In other words, like an example would be changing out your cleaners in your house that when you have like Windex and, you know, Clorox and all these toxic things in your house, taking that out and putting baking soda and vinegar in. Cheap, you know, inexpensive kind of switches that you can do. Same thing nutritionally, removing, you know, the toxic sugar laden, preservative laden, chemical laden foods and putting natural foods in. It doesn't have to be, you know, some miracle treatment or some wonder supplement, right? So the key to it though, it's not just doing one thing, expecting one thing to have an impact. It's really doing many things at once. It's taking a total look at that individual child comprehensively. And really just focusing on that child's healing. And you do that by reducing their total load of stressors. And also increasing support, things that help them heal, like, like obviously nutrition and sleep and exercise and natural sunlight and, and those kinds of things that aren't really expensive. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, for us in Bedrock, the diet was the first place to start because they went gluten-free, casein-free, but sugar-free because they never worked with a child who didn't have a yeast and candidiasis, a yeast infection, and you've got to be on a Sugar free diet, more plant foods, healthy proteins. And of course, we added fermented, like in most of the kids all started off in fermented coconut kefir. And it really made a huge difference for them because we're working on the gut, you know, establishing this new microbiome in the gut and that gut brain connection, which of course, nobody understood that back in those days, 20 years ago. For me, I, I mean, I think bedrock started about 18 years ago. So you're right. It's been more than a decade, but you know, the, the fixing the gut. It was a real good place to start. So diet and fixing the gut and, you know, and, and it worked really well for them to eat the, you know, start the fermented foods. Of course, they all have sort of picky eating habits. So, you know, it was a challenge and mothers couldn't believe their child would eat broccoli, but they did. They started eating as soon as they started, you know, withdrawing those things that were damaging and keeping the yeast infection going and all too. So I, I would say if you don't know where to start, for example, you mentioned sleeping, but one of the things I've learned from looking at a lot of organic acid tests is that a lot of them have uh, very high levels of quinolinic acid, which is a brain toxin, and that that's going to prevent them from sleeping. So you bring the yeast down, and the quinolinic acid becomes normal, and tr- on down the other pathway it becomes serotonin, and now they're sleeping. So there's we didn't have the organic acid test in the very, very beginning, but as people begin to identify that... Things that are really important to do. And then and then the great thing was the doctors who really cared and really concerned about this, they started adding on all that additional training. They went to the maps meetings and originally Dan, but then they changed it to M A M- M- P S now. But so, you know, they a whole bunch of them, brilliant. They are carrying so much into that grew and grew and grew. So today there really are many, many practitioners who are ready and able to help. So that's a good story. But I, I just want to bring up one point, and that is genes. Because back in the day, in the very beginning, they said, oh, it's genes. And I just knew it wasn't genes. I didn't know what I know about genes today. But I knew it wasn't genes because it was obviously all these other things because, you know, give them a healthy diet, fix their gut, and so on. The genes didn't change. They did. So, so you want to say anything about genes? Because I think we have to dispel that myth for sure because you're going to keep hearing it over and over and over again.
1: Yeah, it's such a trap we fall into that culturally, we're trapped with this idea of genetic determinism, which is, you know, if you have a diagnosis, whether it's cancer or autism or whatever it is, you know, people automatically ask you, well, is it in your family? You know, did you do you have an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent Mm -hmm. or whatever? Because that is how our brains think about disease. It must be in your genes. But you're absolutely right. Genes are important but they're not the whole picture. So we should give credit where credit's due. I mean, like, you know, there's been all kinds of estimates so that genes account for 10% of, you know, your health outcomes and environment accounts for 90. And I don't think you can actually label that with precision. But I think the point is that the vast majority of, you know, our health symptoms and whether we end up being healthy or chronically ill has to do with our environment and our lifestyle and the choices we make and right down to our mindset. I mean, you can absolutely influence your health through your mindset. So, you know, the thing that that we do want to take away with regard to genes is that they can be one piece of that kind of precision medicine that's used, right? Like you can look at your genetics and you can understand that, all right, you have a certain, you know, single nucleotide polymorphism that makes it harder for you to detoxify. So 200 Mm -hmm. years ago, that wouldn't have been a big deal. Like that gene Mm -hmm. wouldn't have mattered. Today it does because you are... Inundated with toxins on a daily basis. So if anything, the genes are important because epigenetically we're, you know, activating and responding to our environment that is not really suitable for human beings to live in. The modern world is just a toxic soup. So of yeah, course a- have genes that, you know, are activated under that pressure.
0: Right. That's the keep. That's the most important point is the genes are there. They've always been there. They don't change that quickly, but now they're being triggered and activated when they weren't before. So I've looked at you know, a couple of handfuls of kids gene reports and they do have a lot of things in common. Other people have analyzed them too. Like very common to have MTHFR. That's a detoxification gene or some, you know, even more genes in that pathway, but it's also maybe low on glutathione and so on is kind of common, but it's common everywhere. And this child didn't become autistic at all. So it's not the genes. And I agree with you hundred percent, the genes are a clue. So let's say a lot, um, it's very, very common that they have the vitamin D receptor a variant. And then the gene that carries the vitamin D into the cell is sometimes you know a, a variant. So so that's important because that child needs to take vitamin D or be out in the sunshine more, and we're not getting vitamin D into our kids. You know, they stay indoors all the time or they go from house to school or whatever and they don't go outside. So I think the genes are, give you a clue, but they are not the cause. So I just wanted to get rid of that myth right there. So, okay, so let's get into the studies. They're really important because, as you said, we need proof now. All these skeptics out there in the world that don't believe us don't know that kids can get well. You've set up something, well, actually two somethings that are very, very amazing. And the, the whole backstory, it isn't just like, okay, here's a study that we're doing. It's go into the depth of the study and see who's involved in it and how well it's structured and the benefits the kids get. Can I just want you to run with that for a while?
1: Sure. So we have two studies, both are IRB approved, which means they've been through an ethics and safety review board, and to make sure that we're doing really solid, you know, validated science here. And And you're not
0: hurting the kids. That's the other half of it. They want to make sure the study's not hurting them in any way.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So both of our studies are, you know, very low risk. The first one is the largest children's environmental health survey that's ever been done. So that study is called the CHIRP study. And that stands for Child Health Inventory for Resilience and Prevention. So that explains what we're trying to do is take an inventory of how children live in the modern world. What are they eating? What are they drinking? What are they putting on their skin? How much time do they spend on a device? How much time do they spend outside? What are their relationships like? I mean, anything that you can imagine that might influence a child's health positively or negatively, we ask about that. And then we ask about symptoms and diagnoses and all these other kinds of health metrics. So that study has been going on since 2018, and we have already downloaded our first couple of data sets, and we're seeing some really interesting things, some relationships between various environmental factors, some of which you mentioned. So there are some exposures or experiences in children's lives now that are more significant than others. So examples would be antibiotics. If you've had antibiotics as a child or in utero, or even if mom had them or grandma had them. That has an impact on your health and whether you're likely to develop any number of chronic health conditions, especially mm-hmm. autoimmune and allergic and inflammatory. Uh, sugar, that's another one you mentioned. Sugar in the diet and the relative amount of sugar in the diet has an impact on how much kids are suffering from different kinds of d- diseases and symptoms. There are others. There's EMS and the list goes on. So we're collecting data about the individual things that are influencing children's health. But one of the, the really Amazing insights that's come out of that study is that we have validated the total load hypothesis. Again, that idea that the more stressors a child has, whether it's antibiotics or pharmaceuticals or sugar or toxins or whatever it is, the more stressors a child has, the worse the health outcomes are. So that's really very empowering knowledge to Mm. have because it says to any parent, just get started. Start taking the stressors down. It matters. You know, some people are waiting for like this miracle scientific understanding about What is causing autism or some kind of breakthrough therapy? Right. Exactly. Or some kind of breakthrough therapy that will explain, you know, the alopecia or rheumatoid arthritis. But really, we just need to start reducing the total load on our children. So that's the chirp study. We have a second study, which is called the flight study. And that one is a longitudinal study that I mentioned a moment ago, where we're taking that small group of children through an 18 month program to basically see if we can help course correct their health and their development.
0: So, yeah, you know, of course, ahead of time, you can. Because we know we done. can.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. We know we can because we've seen it anecdotally. Now we're trying to do it in a way that's systematic and methodical so that we can document every step of the way and document how they improve by looking at biomarkers and other ways to show that there's change over time. So and, the way and filming. That's
0: yeah, filming. Exactly. So important. People won't believe it until they see it.
1: Yeah, it's important because we want to be able to not just you know write up scientific publications and publish in peer Mm -hmm. review that these kids got better. We want people to know that that science exists. So that's why we're documenting it on film as well. So the children who participate in our study, they basically get a comprehensive workup. So all the things that you think you can measure in a minimally invasive way, so things you can measure in urine and stool and hair and saliva and blood samples, and to kind of get a picture of what's going on biochemically. And we're also going to assess them using clinical assessment. So having a functional dentist look at them and a developmental optometrist. So looking at them from that kind of developmental standpoint, you know, what's out of balance physiologically, what can we correct? You know, the chiropractic and structural kinds of lenses would be applied too. So the child's getting essentially a crowdsourced, deep dive look into what may be out of balance with them and what is something that's actionable or correctable. So once we do that assessment, each child will then get their own intervention plan. So that's basically, you know, what kinds of diet changes do they need? What kinds of things do they need to do in the home environment? What kinds of specialists or therapists or practitioners would they benefit from seeing? And then our program will carry them through that intervention plan, supporting them the whole way. So we're providing them with organic food. We're providing them with free supplements. We're providing them with Non-toxic products like Naturepedic, for instance, which is an organic mattress company, has donated mattresses. So every family will get a free organic mattress for their child. I mean, the, the list goes on. We've had amazing companies that stepped up and said, yeah, I want to be part of that, that you're doing there to prove that these kids get better. So we'll follow the kids along for 18 months and we'll take measurements, you know, again, the biospecimens like urine and stool and hair, etc., to see, does the toxicity level go down? Does their nutrient status go up? Did their symptoms improve? And so we'll be doing that for each child and hopefully seeing a health transformation over the course of 18 months.
0: You'll definitely see it. And also that's a good thing about filming it because you don't necessarily need a test. You can see they're talking, you know, they're happy. They're not back in their room watching the same video, you know, over and over and over again. They come out and play, you know, they're engaging again. It's you don't really necessarily need a test. You know, I have the most beautiful emails that used to come in that literally made me cry because like a little boy whose father had completely given up on him. He was two, you know, his embarrassed that you have a son like that. And he didn't have any interaction with him anymore. And then he started getting, the little boy started getting well. And his mom writes me one day and says that the dad was leaving for work and he so made going to make me cry. He, Walked out the door to his car, and his son was looking out the window, waving, bye, Daddy, bye, Daddy. And the dad turned around and broke out and just cried, you know. I have lots of stories like that because, you, you know, it's just and because the kids are so smart. There's amazing kids in there. And when you recover them, you realize the parents are blown away by who their child really is and the wisdom they have because I believe this generation is a really special generation. And what we've done to them is it's not their fault. It's our fault. So we have to get them out of this. And I I wanted to just – so, of course, I love what you're doing. I wanted many people to hear about it and people to participate in the ways they can. But I just wanted to point out that, you know, these kids – that are in trouble, showing us they're in trouble. There are trouble. They're the canaries in the coal mine that, you know, there's a little bird down there. And if they're about to have an explosion and the air is about to change, the birds go nuts and the coal miners leave. So that's what these kids are doing. And so chirp is when I when I first heard the name of the study, I said that's cool because birds chirp. <laughs> so I, did you I, did you think about that when you fixed the yeah, chirp well, together? We, we definitely did. I mean,
1: we use our logo as a as a canary because that's oh, exactly yeah, right. right. Mm-hmm. We have always used that as kind of an emblem of what we're working with here. Mm-hmm. Our kids are the canaries in the coal mine and they are trying to tell us that something is wrong. So when we created the, the study names, the acronyms, we absolutely wanted to make sure that we wove that in and CHIRP mm-hmm. was selected because it is trying to like, you know, make noise and, and let's pay attention to the environmental factors. You know, again, that's the one that's the inventory. So it's like really, you know, showing what the problem is. And the second study is named FLIGHT, and stands mm-hmm. for Facilitated Longitudinal Intensive Investigation of Genuine Health Transformation. So that's what the yeah, study that's is a about. long thing
0: to say. It's flight a long thing. It, it is. Thing you need to remember, yeah.
1: But we want the children to take FLIGHT. That's sort of the, the imagery in that as well. As we know, our canaries in the coal mine can take FLIGHT, if we really just provide them with the help and support that they need.
0: Oh my gosh, I just got chills all over. Thank God you're doing this. Because I think so many parents, so many people today, you know, see the madness going on in the world and they don't know who to trust anymore. And they don't have, they don't know what to do to fix the problem, even though it's going in the direction they don't want. This is how parents feel. They don't know how to contribute to fix the problem. So this is an opportunity Anybody that's concerned, whether they're a parent or grandparent or just a person that really realizes that these are our children, this is our future, we won't be around much longer if we keep on the path that we're going on. So this isn't, you know, it isn't just a study. It's way more than that. It's a chance to have a future for our children. And we are nothing without our children. They are the only thing that I realized long ago that the most powerful force in nature, is the power to reproduce the next generation, no matter what. If you really, really watch nature OC, it's all about that. And so we're reproducing children. As you said, they're chirping loud and clear. There's a problem here, we're not hearing it. That's what really worries me. And then, of course, my biggest passion, I used to, you know, lecture all the time in Autism One and other places, and I stopped and got frustrated because I really, really think the focus needs to be on. Prevention. So nobody would hear me. I can it was like I'm talking to a group of moms, hundreds in a room that already have a child with autism. So they're dads too, by the way. I don't want to leave the dads out, but you know, they're obviously focused on getting well, but you can prevent this as well. When you realize from the study that gut problems, for example, is a bit kind of across the board. They do have candidiasis. You know, we can start saying, okay, what do I do from the moment my child is born or even before he's born? What can I do to prevent this? Because it is very preventable. And I have more than 15, 16, eight, whatever years, a positive proof of that because we help our moms eat and, you know, and start the babies off right. And the children are amazing. So that's important, too. That's an important message to get out. It is preventable. So yeah. I feel like I have to say that, but. Anyway, so continue on. So, okay. So how about the financial part of it? I know you are, I mean, let's talk about the logistics. Like where are the studies being held? Are they, do you have a bunch of people all over the country doing it? Or what? what's the logistics of it?
1: So we have been funded so far by grants, donations, private family foundations. And literally it's like somebody donating $10 a year, $15 a year. Plus we have some corporate sponsors who are providing free lab tests free mattresses, like I mentioned, some free food and supplements and things like that. So that's how we've gotten this off the ground. And we have our first three participants funded, and we have a small amount of capital to begin the filming of those first three participants. We intend to set up multiple sites. The study will take up to 14 children over time, so it's a multi-year study and we're going to take 3 to 4 children in each location. So our first location is in northern Virginia. So it's really basically DC metro. And we will move to a second location once we have children number 4, 5 and 6 fully funded. So that, you know, that could be anywhere. We're vetting different cities and locations right now. We've looked in North Carolina, Tennessee, California, Minneapolis, Chicago. We've looked a bunch of different places and are beginning to formalize that that process. So, you know, Well, do you
0: just need money? to move into these cities or do you need also practitioners who are willing to donate their time because you're only talking about working with three or four children it's not like they have hundreds that they have to work right with. They need, Well, we, the coaching part is so important you know somebody dedicated to help that family
1: yes absolutely and each one of the families gets their own dedicated health coach so in some cases the money helps pay for practitioners who can't necessarily provide total care for the participant pro bono. Some of the practitioners do. So that's another way of practitioners, if we, you know, like, let's say we set up our next site in North Carolina or Minneapolis or wherever it is, we would begin to ask the individual practitioners who have experience doing this work, if they would like to be involved in this collaborative kind of care approach. And so some of them, again, will will donate their services. So we have a major capital campaign going. We're trying to raise $1.6 million by the end of 2022, again, so that we can bring more children into our program so that we can set up that second site and so we can make sure that we're filming every piece of this. Because part of this is, again, letting the public know about that this is possible. We also intend to use that film to help teach, use as a teaching tool to teach parents how to do this. So we also are building a membership site for parents to come in who want to learn how to do this and get support that way and have kind of a community where they can learn, you know, with other parents at the same time and go through this process, you know, again, learning what tests to take and what food to eat. And so that's what our capital campaign consists of. And so we're always looking for new individuals to come help support us that way.
0: Well, on the community is extremely important. That's what Bedrock offered. And that's how we learn from each other because people validate immediately that this worked for their child, and so then more people would do it, and uh, you know that's extremely important. That sharing, and again, then it gets the medical practitioners, naturopaths, and so on, get the feedback. You know they're watching very closely what's working. Here in Charleston, where I live, I go to an upper cervical chiropractor. She she works on the whole spine, which is outstanding, and she, one of her specialties is working with newborns, little, little children first couple of years of their life, or I mean, forever too, but she's really great. And she's not, you know, she's not involved in a study. She's not working on um, She would be very happy to help. So I don't think we have to just get practitioners that think they're already working with autism. You know, we could, you may go to some, I would ask her in a minute, would you take these three children and treat them? And she would say yes immediately, of course. Yeah. You know, she would only be one practitioner, but you know, this may be a good place, but one of the great things about North Carolina, like Asheville, they have many, many practitioners up, up there, and they would be more than willing to donate their time. Yes. But again, this seems to be the money. It's just more than It's not a lack of people to help or the structure that you put into place is fantastic. By the way, just want everybody to know this, you are underneath you is an incredible board medical board i mean you go to the website and you look at all the people that are you know doctors that are on your board they're the best of the best and so why you know i'm scrolling through looking at the latest ones and an update you know what is it saying what it's saying is that these incredible people that are top notch in their field they realize how important it is to do this and they want to be under backing it too you know behind it so They've yeah. lent their credibility and knowledge to it. So I just want to put that out there. But, yeah. okay, so your biggest problem isn't getting practitioners or finding families. To, although I want to talk about that, too, because you can't just – the parents have to be really committed. So mm-hmm. what's your biggest obstacle? Let's talk about the commitment from the parents on this part.
1: Yeah, so as you mentioned with our advisory board, we are – very heavy on the expert scientific and medical expertise. I mean, you're absolutely right. We had all these incredible experts in their field step up, raise their hand, say, I want to help. And they don't, you know, they're not getting anything out of it. They're not being paid. They're just saying, you know, I want to help interpret this lab result because I'm an expert at Mm labs," or I want to help, you know, do an assessment on this child because
0: I offer a unique kind of assessment, those kinds of things that they've been contributing Mm -hmm. But like, like arbitrary- Julie Matthews, for example, she's an Perfect. expert in bio individualization. Like she, she can tell right away from the symptoms, she, this child needs to be on a diet that doesn't have saluts in it, or whatever, whatever you know, oxalates and so on. So she's she's a great person to help individualize the diet for the child.
1: That's a great example. Julie's a great example of an advisory board member who's you know offered her help and assistance again because you know they all see the importance of this, and it's kind of like a fishbowl experiment, right, where you have the family in the middle, and you have all these experts trying to, you know, mm-hmm. share their expertise. And again, I understand that this can't be, you know, recreated for every single child out there, but the lessons and the, the insights can be replicated, right? Mm-hmm. So we're doing this in a small, very intensive kind of way so that we can learn as much as we can about the healing process so that we can make it more streamlined and easier and more efficient for families going forward. That's really important to us. And so our, you know, you'd ask about obstacles and our our biggest obstacles right now is just is just funding because there's no pharmaceutical company behind us saying, oh, there's gonna be a blockbuster, you know, drug at the end of this. And so here's all this money to do research and development. We're really just bootstrapping this and, you know, relying on some incredibly generous people and some private family foundations that really see that vision. You know, the other thing is that the parents who do participate we're relying on them to really be willing to participate in a very intensive way so you know the things that we're asking the parents to do i mean first of all it's like winning the lottery it's like a once in a lifetime opportunity to get this kind mm-hmm. of focus from all these experts Absolutely. yeah but the families also have to log daily they have to you know log in what they're eating they have to be willing to go through all kinds of tests with their child They have to be willing to be filmed. And that's something that not every family is comfortable with. Our first participants who everybody will be meeting soon because we'll be filming them very soon, they're a family that is generous of in their willingness to be filmed because they want their experience to benefit other families. So when we asked them about the filming part, they said, no problem, because if we can help other children by letting others watch us go through this journey, we're all for it. So, there's a generosity of spirit just even in the families who want to participate. And,
0: and I just want to add that that definitely isn't there for every child. I know that very first child that I worked with, I, because he was such a success story and his mother led the Bedrock Group and helped thousands of families, you know, and I wanted their story to be out there, but, you know, they didn't want him to know, he was like almost three, they didn't want him to know he had autism once he recovered. There was such a stigma attached to it. And, you know, the rest of the children in a large family, I mean, there would have been their niece and nephews. They're all perfectly great. So here they have this defective child and the child gets well, of course, but they're ashamed. You know, It's like something's wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with them at all. They just didn't know and they just didn't catch the signs early enough. And again, that's why I'm into prevention. But the thing is, is I just want to make that clear too. There's There is a stigma associated with it, with a child who's got some kind of problem and there shouldn't be. And But that is one of those things that are going to keep parents from being filmed, basically.
1: Right. And the thing that I would like to see happen as part of our project, again, this is a study and there's going to be film, but I see it more as a movement. And what I think will be an important part of that movement is for people to understand that no one is left untouched by this. You have the vast majority of American children. At least 54%, and that's a statistic, as you know, from 2011. So no one's even done the epidemiological work in two thousand in 2021 to see just how many kids have one or more chronic health conditions. So we have at least half, many, many more who have the soft signs. So the reality is, who doesn't have some child that's impacted? We're all in this. We all have kids who are impacted. So let's get rid of that stigma, and let's just work on healing our kids together. That's what I hope happens partly as a result of this work as well, is that we see the problem and we decide to tackle it as parents because we don't really have any time to lose on this.
0: Well, another thing, Beth, I would like to point out, too, is that, you know, you may say, well, I don't have a child with autism or any other problem. And so it's not impacting me, but it's definitely these children have to be cared for all their life. Their parents will die, and then who's going to take care of them afterwards? That's a big fear for parents. Like, what's going to happen after I'm not here anymore? You know, they need a lot of extra care and so on. And so they will become like a burden to all of society, to the school systems, for example. So it impacts all of us. It's not just that family with the child with a problem.
1: Yeah, and even think about, and it's across diagnostic categories, too. You know, if you think about life-threatening food allergies, And how many times a child with a life-threatening food allergy ends up in an emergency room in a hospital with an anaphylactic reaction, you know, accidentally, Mm -hmm. that's the, you know, the public health systems are paying for that oftentimes, Medicaid and state health systems. So like, it doesn't even have to be autism where somebody can't live independently. You're talking about any kind of health condition, we're all going to be paying into that at some point.
0: Yeah, I'm default back to that because that was my personal experience with the bed record. But I do, if I, I, hope I've gotten, got these numbers right, but back in those early days, it was like 101 out of 180 children would have autism. And today I think it's down, Those 1,000 boys, I guess, just boys, but now it's down to, unless it has to change again, like one in a 40. Mm-hmm. So that's proof that is, we have an epidemic. We're all concerned about this virus. You know, the real epidemic is right in front of our nose and we are, because there's not enough. Tension, you know, like it has to become a movement, a major, major movement. One of the things I like to see about the whole COVID thing is that, you know, now all over the world, everybody's talking about the immune system. And that's one of my specialties. And I'm glad to see that because, again, it's always so hard to get the message out into the world. But if you can get an entire world clued in to the fact that the immune system is super important, and nephroimmunity and things like that, all of a sudden these words that they didn't even know about are buzzwords in their home. If you can do that with COVID, you can do that with our children and that it has to become a movement and it right. starts by proof and that's what you're doing.
1: Right, exactly. I mean, it's as simple as like all of a sudden there's, you know, a conversation around, we need to be talking more about vitamin D and its impact on whether people do well with COVID or not you know, mm-hmm. those kinds of conversations, like you said, with the, the immune system and immune function, let's go back to the basics. Why why are we talking about fancy, you know, pharmaceutical fixes? Let's go back to the basics, the vitamin D, the nutrition, the sleep, the basics, you know, if we could have that conversation, which we're kind of beginning to a little bit, you know, we would do so much better, no matter what the health situation is, mm-hmm. COVID or yeah. chronic conditions.
0: And of course, this takes me back to the Beginning, even in the womb and in the early days of life, we're establishing that inner ecosystem, the key microbiome. That it is the child's immune system. We need to give them a healthy immune system from the very beginning because that's their ability to live in a world that's toxic. I think it's going to be easier to do this than to remove all the toxins and the GMOs and all. So we have to make. Our children, our babies resilient to this world until we can finally wake up and change it, you know, and that's not <laughs> going to be an easy test, but it, it's not, it's easier to create a child with a tremendous resilience and be able to prevent all these childhood, you know, disasters, basically, than it is to get rid of all the GMOs in the world. Cause we've got the big companies working against us. And that's the other thing too, is like, I look at the COVID thing and I think, why isn't I'm sure everyone wonders this. Why aren't more people standing? Are the people coming across the border, you know, into the country in droves? And we don't know if they are, if they're healthy or not. You know, nobody's doing anything about it. I'm sure nobody knows what to do. So what you're doing is you're offering a what to do. I wanted to have you on this podcast and I wanted this word to get out there because I've watched over the years you tenaciously not giving up and it's not been an easy journey at all. You know, here's another thing that happens too. A lot of times parents get their child well, and then they move on. They don't even want to remember it, you know? So they're not gonna stay around and help you. So you're dealing with that too. So we have to have other people, not just parents. whose kids have need this help. Everybody needs to step up to the plate and participate and change, save us basically. That's what I feel, We're to save the children.
1: I agree. And the other thing that we're looking for is in the, as this year unfolds, we're going to be looking to capture more recovery stories. So we have two websites, epidemicanswers.org and documentinghope.com. And on those websites, we've been collecting written recovery stories. We're going to be asking people to submit more of their recovery stories and we're going to be actually filming some of those already recovered kids. So, you know, that's something that, you know, that's a, a call to action too, is if you have a child who has recover from something. We want to know your story because that is what wakes people up. They want to hear that it's been done before. So that's really important to us, too, that we tell the stories actively of the families who've already had successes using these kinds of strategies.
0: And when they submit their stories, can they also send their own videos in, too? Absolutely. don't have to wait for you to come and photograph them or video them or something.
1: Yep, exactly. And there's a possibility we might even send a professional film crew in. But we want any stories in any form, written, videos, you know, on your iPhone, whatever it is, that's really important to us because we want to get the word out that this is happening all over the place.
0: And it's important when you start this journey, let's say you've just gotten a diagnosis, your child's too, to start journaling, you know, writing down everything you did so you'll remember so that you can document that too. So this can actually be done right in your home. If you can't afford to participate in another way, you can participate this way. Imagine 2,000 stories showing up this year of people that are telling, you know, their child's well now. And here he was not, she was not. I always say he because there's so many more boys involved. So first of all, the number one thing you need is for people to offer to bring money to the table mm-hmm. in any way they can. Small amounts, large amounts. Hopefully, if you don't have money, you know somebody that does, and you can send this on to them So that's really the only thing that you have everything else in place. You, The one and only thing you need is money, right? Mm
1: -hmm. Yep, that is definitely our biggest need right now. And the more money that we have, the more support we have, the more we can do to actually help the families. So we're helping the individual families that come through our program. But the more we're supported, that allows us to build that community and that education and, you know, really blow this up so that we can get the answers to the people who are dealing with this right now. You know, and it's our kids. They don't like I said, they do not have time to wait. They have one developmental trajectory they're going to go through, and we want to make sure we catch them as early as possible. To your point, it would be great if we caught everybody before, you know, mm-hmm. pregnancy and, and conception, but we want to make sure that we capture as many of those kids
0: now and early. Mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. We There's lots more of them. There's mm-hmm. plenty. And, you know, so so basically, here's, here's just kind of a summary. The kids are chirping loudly that we have problems of all kinds. They need help. They're caught and stuck They'll never ever get out of the you know trap they're in until we step up and help them. And it's our duty to do that. You've got everything set in place to document and show how to get the kids well. And it's amazing that you've done that. Now the one and only thing is to bring the money to the table and get it out there and keep getting it out there so the whole world knows. And so before long there is no more autism in the world. And they know that if you do get a child with a diagnosis, turn it around. Don't even go there, prevent it. But Mm -hmm. so that's what I think the story that will come out of it is that, okay, this is what caused my child, like he has a yeast infection and he has gut dysbiosis. So I'm going to prevent that from happening in my child. That's how we prevent it basically. That's my favorite thing to talk about. But but anyway, so how do people connect with you? How do they give money? Where do they go to get more information? How can they Look into the study and see if their child qualifies. How can they submit a city? Like maybe they live in, I don't know, Denver or something. That would be a good one. There's lots of practitioners there. And they have, maybe they don't have the money, but they're willing to put the work in, the um, time basically, to contact practitioners and and enroll them and get them to participate, helping the kids. So where do they go to get started? There's a lot of
1: ways to get involved. So the best place to start is go to documentinghope.com. If anybody wants to make a donation, there's just a donation spot right on the website. And actually on that, to make it easy, if you want to help us raise money, you can go on to that webpage on the donate webpage and there's a video that you can share on Facebook or Instagram or wherever to try and get the word out that way. So that's sometimes even if you don't have the ability to donate, if you get our message out with the video, that helps too. And then people can reach out to me and get in touch at Beth at epidemicanswers.org. Or Beth at documentinghope.com. That works as well. And if you have a city that you're interested in potentially being the next location for the flight study, we know we would need a couple of things. We would need, you know, to know that there is a good integrative pediatrician there, somebody who can do the functional, nutritional approach and, and a few other kind of categories. So if you have a you know a city in mind, please reach out to me that way. We always are looking for you know volunteers just to help get our message out. Epidemic Answers is a nonprofit organization that also puts out all kinds of great resources for parents, webinars and newsletters and articles. And we have a practitioner directory and we train health coaches. So there's a lot more that we do that, you know, people can get involved on that side too. So documentinghope.com and epidemicanswers.org are the best ways to get started and get involved.
0: Well, I hope everybody listening is realizing they're talking to a true spiritual warrior who needs support. And in any way that you can support her, Please do because this is our future, our children, and they are our future. So, Beth, thank you so, so much for doing this. I think, I think we've got the message out there loud and clear. Now it's time for other people to do their parts. So, thank yeah. you. thank you, Donna, and thanks
1: for giving me a chance to chat about this.
0: It's nothing compared to the help we need. So, thank you very much. We want to join. I think of you often as like this great spiritual warrior. Now we need people to join the army in any way they can and us win this war yes so thank absolutely. you thank you body ecology is not a diet it's a way of life based on seven universal laws that always guide us toward the truth if you want to know more about us about these seven universal laws and about our amazing effective products go to our website bodyecology.com Also, for a free transcript of this show, go to our website. Again, that's bodyecology.com. And of course, if you like what you're learning, we'd be very grateful for a review on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcast. If you've got a topic you want to learn about, just let us know. This information does not replace the advice of your doctor or healthcare professional. Thank you very much for listening and here's to a happier, healthier world.